fourth and last Sunday of Advent. And Advent is a word that means coming. Because in it we celebrate the coming of Messiah. And we look back, in Advent we look back on the fact that God promised to send Messiah and Messiah came. But we're also in Advent looking forward to the reality that God has promised to send Messiah again. And Messiah is coming. Amen? And He inaugurated the kingdom with His death and with His resurrection. And when He comes again, He will consummate the kingdom with His bride and will reign with us forever and forever. And uh, this week, we're going to look at one of the major predictions of the promised kingdom yet to come. Because Messiah is not only, has not only come, He is coming back. And we're going to look at what that kingdom would look like and what are some of the signs that it's yet to come. And so we're going to get an advanced preview, if you will. You ever, you ever been to that? You know, where you, a movie's coming out and you get in at like the midnight showing? Uh, this is like the midnight showing. You get an advanced view of what is coming before everybody else. And if you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn with me over to the Old Testament book of Micah. Uh, Micah is a prophet, and he speaks to his people Judah at a time of great distress. When they are pressured by all of their enemies and neighbors around them. When uh, the kingship is wandering when the people are beginning to practice idolatry and to be in danger of being exiled as a result. Uh, if you don't have a, a Bible, uh, there are some on the, on the table there in the back by the door. Uh, grab one. They are free. They are our Christmas gift to you. Uh, take it home with you and enjoy it. The best kind of Bible to have is any kind that you will read. Amen? So, uh, <laughs> so grab one of those if you don't have one and uh, take it as our gift. Um, we're going to look first at uh, Micah chapter 4, verse 1 to 8. And these are some great words. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways that we may walk in His paths. For out of Zion will go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. No one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. And all the people walk, each in the name of, his, of its God, but we will walk in the name of, our, of the Lord our God forever and ever. Amen. Now if you look at this text, it begins with this expression in the latter days. In other words, not soon, as Micah is written, but soon from our perspective. 
We live about, oh, about, six, uh, about 2,600 years since Micah. He writes about, six, about 660, 680 uh, B.C. It's been a while since, his, since this prophecy is written, but he says, in the latter days, in other words, in the day of the Lord, when, the, when things are coming to an end, talks about or he prophesies that the mountain of the house of the Lord that's the hill of the temple is going to be it's there at the center of Jerusalem and it's going to be the highest of the mountains and lifted above the hills I don't know if that is to be understood literally or figuratively if it's literally going to be all of a sudden taller than uh, not Kilimanjaro um, Everest yes Everest (laughs) taller than Everest or not uh, but it will be in it. It will be at the center of the world. It will be at the center of the of of people's attention, and everyone will want to go to it. Messiah will be ruling from there, and people will come from all over the world to worship the God of Israel, and they will be coming to see the Lord Jesus, and to walk in His ways. Now. That is far from the world that we live in now. Amen? Israel is one of the world's most embattled and marginalized nations. True story. You know, they, the, the UN, the United Nations, has a human rights commission. And it exists mainly for two reasons. To protect uh, bad actors all over the world and to condemn the nation of Israel. Uh, but in these days, in these days, everyone will say, let's go to Israel. Let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go to the mountain of the temple. And let's he- seek the word of the Lord there. And let's seek to earnestly obey him. And if it's not the entire world, at least the vast majority of it will be seeking out the Lord. And the day is coming when these things will be reality. And it's an amazing promise. Because nothing in Micah's world at the time that this is written, nothing in our world at at this time as we read it, indicates that this is coming true. You know, sometimes people, when they read the prophets, they go, well, you know, these guys just made educated guesses about world events and so forth, and they just kind of, you know, it just happened to work out. Nothing in this, as is described, as we look around our world, has any indication that this is going to work out in the way it's described. In fact, there's a mosque built on top of the site where the temple was, Al-Aqsa, the farthest. That marks the extent of, of the expansion of Islam in the time of Muhammad. And yet, one day, the temple will be restored and people will come to worship God there. And to learn directly from Jesus how to obey and follow and worship Him. And what will be also a reality is that Jesus will rule from Jerusalem. He will sit as judge and king, and his word will go forth. And the scriptures will be the standard for the laws of the entire world. And what's more, there will be universal peace. Look 
at the text. Look at the text here. Verse 4. He will judge between many peoples and decide for strong nations far away. In other words, Jesus is going to rule the whole thing. And because of that, they're going to beat their, their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. I love that phrase. In other words, they're going to take all their weaponry over to John Deere and have it melted down into combines. They're going to take, they're going to take their handguns and make them into, into pruning saws. And their, and their tanks and turn them into plows. It's going to be universal peace. Can you imagine what that would be like? It's a world without locks. A world without alarms. A world without growly dogs or fighter planes or battleships or tanks or pistols or bombs or grenades or gas. It's a world without concertina wire and a world without trenches, a world without missiles, a world without treaties that are broken more than they are kept. And because there'll be no more violence, everyone will sleep in their beds at peace with no fear. Look at your text. No one will make them afraid. In fact, what the prophet says is he says, everybody will be in peace and prosperity. They will sit under his own fig tree and under his vine. It's the picture of a man. It's a poetic way of depicting Peace and prosperity. He's got wine, so he's got good stuff to drink. He's got figs. He's got good stuff to eat. Right? Maybe he wraps them in bacon. I don't know. But in any case, he's got good, he's got prosperity. No one's going hungry. And there's no more violence. And so he's looking forward to an afternoon where he's got wine, he's got figs, and he's got a nap coming under one or the other, the fig tree or the vine. And this will happen because God Himself, the righteous judge, will reign visibly and powerfully from Jerusalem as king. And don't miss His name. This is a great name. It says, The Lord of hosts has spoken. In Hebrew, that reads, Yahweh Sabaoth. And when you've, you, ever, you ever sing the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God? We've sung it here. And you come to, that, come to that line in the song where it says, Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, right? And he will win the battle, right? You know who Lord Sabaoth is? It's the Lord of the armies. The Lord of the heavenly host. The Lord of the angel armies that we sing about. Lord Sabaoth. In other words, God is bringing his army. And guess what? My army makes everybody else's army obsolete. <laughs> one angel, and we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll mention this again later, but one angel took out 185,000 troops of the Assyrian Empire in one evening. So what do you think about the angel army? You've got nuclear missiles? Ah, oh, that's nice. That's cute. Right? That's like deciding you're going to, you know, start a war with a pop gun and nerf. You know, 
I mean, this is just not, this is, he makes everybody else's army obsolete. You guys go ahead and get your stuff together. The Lord of the armies is coming. And because of that, everybody lays down their weapons. And everybody's at peace. And there's no more fear. Can you imagine how different our world would be if God Himself and there was no longer any reason to be afraid. You know, you don't think about just basic things. Think about this. How many of you have one of those little flicker things for your car? Beep, beep. Beep, beep. You know, you got to beep yourself in and beep yourself out, right? you got deadbolts and chains and locks on the door. you got handguns behind the closet, right? Uh, you've got all kinds of stuff that's designed for one purpose, to protect you from everybody else. Or at least keep your friends and neighbors from stealing from you, right? I mean, really, that's what a, that's what a deadbolt does, right? Because a real criminal will just jack that open with a carjack and it won't, they'll get in your house. It's not a, not a problem. Um, but they at least keep the honest people from stealing from you. Right? And and we live in a world that's built around that. We have we have aircraft carriers that we spend billions of dollars to build. Keep the sea lanes open. We have helicopter gunships that have weaponry on them that will shoot one bullet in every square foot of a football field per second. Why do we do stuff like that? Because the world we live in is dangerous and scary. And if there are not men with guns protecting us, then we will be conquered and abused by everybody else who has them. In our world, as I believe it's Jefferson who said this, in our world, those who beat their swords into plowshares will plow for those who do not. But the reality is going to change. Because God, the Lord of the armies, is coming. And when He sets up His rule, He makes every other army obsolete. And He will reign, and there will be peace, and no one will make you afraid of anything. Ever. And there's more. Look at verse 6 and 7 here. Let's read some more. Oh, let's look at verse 5 first. All peoples walk in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. That's a good word right there. The thing is, is that there are all kinds of things in our world that are worshipped as gods. Some of them are formal idols. Where if you go to India, you know, you go to these temples and they've got all kinds of stuff dressed up as gods. You go to go to the Far East and everybody's coming to make their offerings at the statue of the Buddha. You go to the Shinto shrine, they do the same thing. You go to an Islamic country and everybody talks about wanting to make their, their pilgrimage. 
to Mecca to go see the to go see the Kaaba and put on their white robe and all of that. It's foolishness. It's idolatry. In our country, we don't do stupid stuff like that. No, what we do is we worship stuff like our car, our television, our house, our leaders, our job, our whatever. Uh, we, we set up all these other things. And, and Micah here, the prophet, says this, that everything else is a mute idol and a pretender, and it can't save, but this God, this God is the only God worthy of the name God. And He is the one who is coming. And He is the one who promised long ago peace on earth, goodwill to men. And when He comes again, He will establish it. And so He says, we are going to worship our God and Him alone forever and ever. He says, y'all do what you want. Y'all do what you want. Every nation has its own thing that they pursue, but us, we're going to worship our God, the Lord, Yahweh, Sabaoth. We're going to worship Him forever and ever because He alone is coming and He alone is the one who is able to make the world like this. And He promised He would come and He came. And he promised that he's coming, and you can take it to the bank. He's coming. And when he comes, he will not come as gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He will come as the Lord of the armies, bringing with him the armies of heaven to establish peace on the earth by getting rid of evil on the earth. So that no one will make people afraid. It's a magnificent promise. And there's more. Look at verse 6 and 7. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant. And those who were cast off, a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. God is going to gather the marginalized and the afflicted and the disabled and those who were discarded, and together they will be God's people. The last will be first, the weak will be made strong, the outsiders will become the ruling class, and to be, those will all be close to the Lord and will reign with Him as Jesus reigns on David's throne in Mount Zion. And just as it was in the days of King David, the kingdom will be established under David's greater son. And this is a magnificent description of the great day, of the coming of the millennial kingdom. And I myself am greatly looking forward to that day, aren't you? This is going to be a fantastic day. In the meantime, there are wars and rumors of wars, just as Jesus said there would be. 
And there remain lots and lots of people and places who wherever else they might be looking, they aren't looking to Jesus as king, and they're not looking to his word, the guidance for their life. But this passage is given to us. who are encompassed in that those who have been driven away and afflicted and lame and so forth, that people that are on the outside of society, to tell us the Lord is coming. And you who are marginalized, you who are looked down upon, you who are the dregs of society by society's standards, you I will make the remnant. You will rule with David's son. David's son. With him. And it's designed to give God's people encouragement and hope in the midst of a quite different reality that God's people have experienced day by day by day. Because the reality of it is, as you read this passage, you go, sounds great, preacher, that sounds all very nice, it's nothing like the world I live in. And that's true. But these passages are given to us to encourage us, to give us hope, to tell us it's not always going to be like this. This is not the way God made it to be, and it's not the way it's going to be. It's just the way it is right now. But the king is coming, and the kingdom is coming, and you will be part of it. Amen? Now, there are some events, and I think this is Micah structures his writing in, in precisely this way because he's going to remind them there are some other things that are coming. And when they come, they're going to be difficult and they're going to be painful, and you're not going to enjoy them very much. But nevertheless, don't think God has abandoned you or forgot His promise. And He gives three events. Uh, in uh, chapter 4, verse 9, through uh, chapter 5, verse 1, three events that are coming before the kingdom comes. So look, at, look with me at this text here. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? As your counselor perished, that pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor, for now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled. Let our eyes gaze upon Zion. They do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand His plan. And He has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your hoof iron, and I will make your hooves bronze, and you shall beat in pieces many peoples, and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops, Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. These are the three events. They are all going to happen before the Lord returns. Before the coming of the king. And I just want to tell you, depending on your 
understanding of these things, these events are not strictly chronological. Uh, many times the prophets, and this is common, not just in Micah, but elsewhere in the prophets, many times what the prophet would do is he would see into the future and he would look. And if you've ever been out west and you've been driving you know, through Colorado or New Mexico or, or Idaho or one of those other western states where they've got the Rockies there, you can look off in the distance and you see the mountains. And you see what appear to be two mountains that are side by side. And in reality, one of them is much bigger and it's much closer. And then there's another one that's off in the distance, like 50 miles. But they look from a distance like they're side by side right next to each other. And many times the words of the prophets are like that, that there might be a significant span of time between one event and another. And they might not all be strictly chronological because of the way the prophet saw what the Lord had shown him. But nevertheless, these events will all take place. And I want to show you what these events mean. Uh, verses 9 and 10, first of all, is Micah's prediction that prior to the return of the king will come Judah's exile to Babylon. Now, this is a fascinating prediction. Micah died in about 686 B.C. And Judah went into exile in 586 B.C., a hundred years later. And at the time that Micah died, the leading power in the world was the Assyrian Empire. And Babylon was just a vassal kingdom inside it. And so to predict that you'll go into exile in Babylon, well, a couple of things are going to have to happen. Number one, Babylon is going to have to rise as a world power, which hadn't happened. And number two, Assyria is going to have to be overthrown such that they're able to grab Israel, Judah specifically, out of Assyria's orbit. And yet that's the prediction that's made. Assyria will be overthrown by Babylon and Judah will go into exile in Babylon. How did Micah know that? Because he was told by the one who sees the end from the beginning and who is able to know all future events, including all of the contingencies of what if this had happened instead. God knows it all. And there's, on top of that, nothing that the nation of Judah can do to stop their exile. It's going to happen. And, you know, just like he says, it's, it's going to be like a woman in labor. The only way out of, I've not, never been in labor, I have watched it four times. Um, but here's what I know. The only way to come to the end of that experience is to go through it. Once it starts, it's happening. And the only way out of it is with, to have the baby, one way or another. And that's part of what Micah is saying, that you're, this is going to be a painful time, and it's going to come upon you suddenly, and the only way out of this experience is to go through it. The only way out of exile is to go into exile, and then to have the Lord come and get you out of it. 
instead of ruling from Jerusalem, the king, the son of David, is going to be put to death. And Judah is not going to have one for a long time to come. That's why he says, is there no king? No, there's not. There's not going to be. In fact, since 586 B.C., there's not been a king reigning in Jerusalem ever. There hasn't been a son of David as king with a kingdom, and there won't be one until Messiah Jesus returns to establish his kingdom and his rule. And in the meantime, he says, you people of Judah are going to be homeless, and you're going to be forced to live in the open fields because Jerusalem is going to be sacked and destroyed. That also happened. In 586, when the city fell, people fled, and they lived out in the fields and in caves and wherever they could get away from the invading Babylonians. And he says, at the end of verse 10, you'll go to Babylon, but there you're going to be rescued. And that also happened. Seventy years later, in 516, God delivered his people, and they came back in peace to Jerusalem and rebuilt the city, rebuilt the temple, rebuilt the walls around the city. And the nation was reestablished. And the second event is verses uh, 11 to 13. And it predicts a time when nations are going to gather all around Jerusalem and they're going to be hungry for plunder and looting. And in fact, if you look at it, the nations are depicted poetically as being like a rapist looking at his victim. And he's saying, let her be defiled, let let us gaze upon Zion. The idea is um, in a lascivious fashion. If you know anything about ancient warfare and even modern warfare and what happens to conquered people, this isn't simply just poetic. This is what conquering armies did and do in many cases. But what will happen instead is that God will come out and he will fight for his people. And instead of being victims to all these nations that surround him, the nations who came to conquer will themselves be conquered. They'll be like wheat going to the thresher. And those who thought they would come to Judah and give her wealth to their gods will be plundered and their wealth will be given to the Lord instead. And the question is that rises up about this prediction is when? It's possible that uh, Micah has in mind the battle of Armageddon when nations from all over the world will surround the city of Jerusalem. According to Zechariah 14 and Revelation 16 and Revelation 19, there'll be a time when many nations do surround the city and the Lord of all the earth will fight against them and they will be defeated. But it's also possible And I think it's more likely in this case that Micah is talking about his own day. Because during the reign of Hezekiah, who was the last king who reigned during Micah's ministry, that's exactly what happened. The army of the Assyrian Empire surrounded the city of Jerusalem. And because the Assyrians were a multi-ethnic, multinational empire, they had troops from all kinds of different nations that were part of that army. And yet in one night, as I said, Second uh, Kings and Chronicles both tell this story, that in one night 
gods, the angel of the Lord went through and slaughtered all the Assyrian army. And what happened after that was that people realized, hey, where did all the guys go? They were all here, and they went out and they saw the entire army laying there dead in their tents. And they took their stuff and went back to Jerusalem with it and made offerings to the Lord with it. In praise to God over the fact that he had miraculously delivered. Because before this, Sennacherib, the Assyrian general, is standing there around the city and going, hey, you need to just go ahead and surrender already. Because my God, the God that I serve, He is King in heaven. And I don't know who Yahweh is, but none of the gods of all the other nations that we've invaded have been able to save them either. And it'll be the same with you. And God said, oh really? I will vindicate myself and my people who worship me and all of you are going to die. And they did. Because God is able to save His people no matter the circumstances. And the people did plunder the Assyrians and take their stuff and devote it to the Lord. And the third event is the humiliation of Judah's king. Chapter 5, verse 1. Some commentators think this is a specifically messianic prophecy because Jesus was struck and he is Israel's king. But the reference to troops and warfare, I think, uh, ties it back to Zedekiah, who is the last king of Judah, who despite raising an army to fight, was nevertheless besieged, taken captive, chained, and taken to Babylon where his sons were put to death in front of him, and then his eyes were put out with the sword. He was humiliated. And either way, Micah accurately predicts the humiliation of Judah's king. Well, why does all this matter? Going, okay, very exciting, very good. These things happened historically. Fantastic. What significance does that carry for me today? He tells us about these things, I think, just after he has told us about the glorious kingdom to come for one reason and one reason only. It's to give us encouragement and hope. When the exiles came, the the Babylonians took the city, they tore it down, they burned the temple. They carried off all the valuable stuff out of it. They captured and humiliated their king. People are living out in the wilderness trying to just survive. And all of these events are, are fantastic opportunities to doubt that the Lord cares about you and is there for you and is going to deliver you and that the kingdom is going to come and you will reign with the Messiah King. Because the reality of it is, is that God knows us and He knows that whenever we experience white water type situation like any of these, the first thing we start asking is, well, where was God when? Where was God when this happened or that happened or this happened or this terrible event occurred 
or this sickness hit, or this person died, or this flood came, or where was God when all this stuff took place? And, and our natural conclusion a lot of times is to think, well, he, doesn't, he either wasn't there or he didn't care, one or the other. And God is reassuring His people by telling them in advance, these things are all going to happen. But, the kingdom is still coming. And Jesus is still going to reign. And there's still going to be the establishment of a kingdom. And you're still going to enjoy it. And in fact, all those who have been afflicted by the Lord as part of the difficulties of this life, and the, the pain that we go through is all going to be worth it because the King is coming. And He's telling them, telling them and telling us in advance of when it happened, this is going to happen, but the kingdom is going to happen too. And He's saying, look, you know that I told you all these things will happen, so when they happen, don't wonder where was God when this happened because I told you it was going to. But guess what I also told you is going to happen? This kingdom that I'm going to establish. Peace and the rule of Messiah. And, if, and when, when this stuff happens, and it did, you'll know that my word is trustworthy because I told you about it in advance. And so when you're going through the mill, when it feels like someone has stuck you head first through a clothes wringer, when your life gets difficult and hard, and feels like it's a 90 degree vertical climb. Know that I also told you about the kingdom. It's coming. And that you will experience that as well. And that the king will reign. Peace will be established. And they won't even study about war anymore. Not only will no one participate in it. No one will read a book on it. Because there won't be any need. Because the world will be at peace as Messiah reigns. God allows all kinds of difficulties and sickness and pain and death and struggle. He allows it all. But you get a little in the scripture, we get a little taste in our daily life as we trust the Lord of the glory that is to come. And that glory is that we experience, that little taste that we get, is meant to keep us encouraged until the day that it does come. It's like being able to unwrap a Christmas gift early. You guys do that at your house? Christmas Eve, we let our kids open one set of stuff on Christmas Eve. And you get early gifts. Okay, The life that we live now, empowered by the Spirit, saved by the Messiah, anticipating His return is like that. It's like getting a Christmas present early that we get to unwrap and enjoy and go, tomorrow is going to be great. Right? This is why this is here. Give us a little bit of a taste early so that we can look forward to tomorrow 
knowing that Christmas is going to be great. Amen? Merry Christmas, y'all. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that Christ has come and is coming, and that His coming will not be like His first coming. He will not come to take away sin. He will, take, he will come to put an end to it. He will come to put an end to evil forevermore. He will come to establish a kingdom of peace with His armies that make all other armies obsolete. He will come in righteousness and justice to bring His word to the nation. He will bind up those who are broken down and heal those who are wounded bring an end to all evil. Father, we thank You for giving us little tastes of that now. For giving us predictions in Your Word that are fulfilled over and over and over again that we know that these great and glorious promises that You have made to us of the coming of the King and the Kingdom will likewise be fulfilled. Father, we pray that we would have today encouragement and hope as we anticipate the coming of the King once more for us. We pray in Jesus' name.